Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name's Greg. I will be hosting our time together. I'm so glad you are, Greg. Thanks, Paul. Paul's around the table with me. Also joining me is Jeff. Hi, Greg. And Ezra. Hey, guys. Hey, so here's a question for you guys. Baseball season has begun, the regular season of baseball. That's usually what you mean when you say baseball season. The well, first I, pitch has been thrown. I, I meant like, not just like... Step up to the plate, Greg. Come on. Get out of the on deck circle. Come on. Greg, don't you need if you're going to go down, you go down swinging. Come on, baseball metaphor. <clears throat> no. No, baseball metaphors are the best though. Yeah. They are. Did I strike out? Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, what's the question? Do you guys like Major League Baseball? Yeah. Okay. It's a little slow. Yeah. Going to a game can be fun. It's too expensive Mariners, for the games. Mariners have a great stadium. It's a great, a great experience. It you is. You get to Seattle and watch a game. Although it uh, doesn't compare to the experience of like the Seahawks or any of that. And that's what I think the problem with Major League Baseball is that the tickets are too expensive. The experience mm. is way too muted for a an adrenaline uh, culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not going to help if they flip their bats. Which apparently is like the solution now. No, it if you will ever help. listen to all these people, it's like, well, if they're allowed to flip their bats, then people will obviously be coming through the turnstiles as much as they. By the way, do they have turnstiles anymore? No. <clears throat> that was she, a good way who, to catch. She's saying yes. They have yeah. metal detectors. No, I don't. Do they have turnstiles. They got to count the people somehow, don't they? They got a person there beep. with a little clicker. Beep. Oh, yeah. It just goes beep. All right, but Safeco Field's a good time. So, yes, Greg, I do like Major right. League Baseball. My son likes it, so and we'll go down to a game or two this year. Good. Good. I've, I've never gone to a baseball game in my life, ever. It's about four of hours any of your kind? life you can't get back. Hmm? Of any kind? Like not even Little League? Nothing. Hmm. Like Nothing. Cr- never gone, it's like never cricket. sat down. Yeah. Oh, cricket is great. Yeah, it's like Are cricket, but... No, cricket without, is great. Without all the drunk people. <laughs> not every, not everybody at the baseball game is drunk. <laughs> no, and see, cricket, oh, they are all drunk. Oh yeah, I mean cricket. You can play one game over two days, three days. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cricket is great. Yeah, man. you probably have to be drunk. They do. They start <laughs> serving the moment you arrive, and usually and halfway through, people are, are Happy. drunk. I remember watching a cricket match. I was on the terraces at a place called Eden Park in in Auckland, New Zealand, and I was sitting toward the top of the terraces, and. The entire time the game was going, there were there was food being thrown, food in bottles in the air, the whole time. <laughs> like there wasn't any moment where there wasn't actually some thing that was being thrown. I I came home, I was doused in beer, I had uh, tomato <clears throat> stuff all over me because people would throw tomatoes at each other because they're they're all drunk. What? No, they, they're all drunk. Okay. It wasn't like a ma- It wasn't like a consistent. Hey, everybody's throwing them at the same time. It's just that once you were done with your apple. For eating your apple, you just chuck it. So, did people bring their own tomatoes? Yeah, you bring your own. You cool. You bring your own little cooler, cooler. thing, and you sit. You eat all the food. You sit there and eat. You bring a newspaper so you can read it while the game's on. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's just like it's going true. to the park. It's, it's, no, it's it basically. It's it just is. going to the park, yeah. and you some guys are playing, and, and if you, I feel. Mm-hmm. Well, you well, most of the time you just watch the people in the stands, and then occasionally something happens on the field. You're like, hey, mm-hmm. he got a yep. six or a four. Yep. Cool. I mean the big the big nations that uh, follow cricket India uh, India Pakistan Australia New Zealand mm-hmm. uh, England. England Kenya um, the West Indies 
Mm-hmm. They're very good, by the way. They, are good. they used to be anyway in the mm-hmm. '80s. The Windies. <clears throat> yeah, and that's Brian Lara. There's a name, Vivian Richards. Yeah. A lot of you guys don't know that. Mm. I Brian actually have Vivian. A, I have a Vivian. poster of Vivian. A guy. A guy. <laughs> Viv Richards. He Viv was good. Richards. Yeah, hey, he was very good. If you have a favorite cricket player, we'd love to hear about who they are and Shane why. Shane Warne. Spin bowler from uh, <laughs> Australia. Yeah. Well done. Or maybe you can just check with Imran. Yeah. He he loves cricket too. Most of the people have stopped listening now. Okay, let's move on. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, here's the first question. Uh, by the no way, segue? You got nothing. No, huh? from cricket? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that is a good four. Here's, here's four questions. Hey, I like it. That a boy? Probably won't get to four. Uh, hey, if you have a question, though, you should send it to extra at northview.org. Here's the first one. If you were a Christian believer, you renounced your faith, followed other spiritual paths for a period, and then you came back to Christ, if you died in the period of non-belief, would you be saved? So someone, it's a hypothetical. Hmm? Someone's a Christian, walk away from the faith. What happens if they died then? Once they had walked away from the faith. Mm. Yes. What's the th- what? What does the Bible say about that state? Well, it's interesting. The Bible actually has some in most of the warning passages that are brought up about apostasy, which is what we're talking about here. Uh, there is no guarantee or assurance given to the person who is currently in apostate, meaning in the state that they're in, who who have walked away from Christ <clears throat> in unbelief. All you have in the Bible is warning, warning of judgment. So I take those warnings to be real and that the person who walks away from the faith is in danger of, of eternal judgment. Yes. So if they, if they did not come back, then I'd say, in, in, and they died in that state of unbelief, then no, I, I, I don't, they're rejecting Christ. God will give them what they want, the rejection of Christ. So what's interesting about this, though, is that uh, you have to partner along with that, though, uh, the, the, the guarantees in Scripture, like, no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says, uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, Philippians 1.6. So you have lots of passages in Scripture, Romans 8, right, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, but all of those all of those texts are are given quite honestly with a backdrop of election so you know i mean that's that's the doctrine that they're they're relying on when they're like Romans 8 in particular that's what the backdrop is is god's those who are gods in rome i mean john is it john 10 that no one's snatched them out yeah, of my hand that's john 10 27 um, 30 john 10 is a passage also that has lots of text lots of language of election in it so i'm what i'm saying is that those who are gods will persevere to the end. Those who belong to Christ, who, who, who are gods and a part of his covenant family, will persevere to the end. The elect, to use the language of the scriptures, mm-hmm. will persevere to the end. <clears throat> so the hypothetical that you've brought up is only that, a hypothetical. There, there is no such thing as a person who has been called, and by that I mean effectually called by God, who will fall away from the faith and not return. Or die in his apostate right. now, state. I'm, I'm taking that mm. because of the language of the scriptures regarding the text I just cited. Mm-hmm. 
there. And the explanation that John has, for example, in 1 John 2.19, when he has to deal with a question of, okay, so there's a whole bunch of, mm-hmm. of teachers in our church who have left the church. They were elders. They've left now and have taught another doctrine, another gospel. And John's explanation for that is, well, by going out from us, they have proved that they were never part of us. So that's an interesting text because he's basically trying to say, well, if if they were really part of us, they never would have gone out like that. Because they've gone out, that's evidence because of their lack of perseverance in the faith uh, that they were actually never part of us. It's not that they mm-hmm. were part and now they're not. They never were. To begin with. Right. Right. So my that's my my answer to the question is yeah the person who's in that situation, yeah is is in danger of eternal judgment. Anybody else? Come on, no, I, I agree. Th- yeah, I think I think you've answered the question exhaustively. I mean, uh, I'm assuming here that the questioner was just wondering, okay, are you once saved, always saved? So if you're once saved, always saved. Well, the answer is yes to that. Yes. If. If by and this is where this gets interesting <clears throat> mm-hmm. because the language of salvation in the Bible is is more uh, when we use the word salvation or saved, what we usually mean is justified. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and by Ex- justified, we actually mean prayed the prayed a prayer on one particular day to be converted and believe in Jesus. So, so what we think of, we say, well, once saved, always saved. We think. Once prayed that prayer, always in. That's not true. But, but the problem is salvation is not the praying of a prayer. Salvation is, the, is involved. I mean, salvation has a huge scope. It starts with the doctrine of election. It ends in glorification. If you want to read about it, Romans 8, 29 to 30 talks about this. So it, it's in, in theological language we use it call we call it the ordo salutis the order of salvation and it's more than just a moment in time where you're converted it has it has you know eternity preceding and by the way it doesn't matter which which viewpoint you would have on how somebody gets elected mm. everyone everyone who's orthodox has has agreed no election is something the Bible talks about now how one gets elected we can debate about but election is true people there are there's an elect people of God. And God brings those that election to reality in real time. So that's when you pray a prayer and you get baptized and stuff. But then part of that is what we call sanctification. It's the following on after that initial justification, that initial moment where you turn to Christ. Well, there's a, there's a growth in grace. So when James writes his letter, he's arguing that, look, if you, if you say you're a Christian, right, and you don't exhibit sanctifying work in your life, right, your faith is basically the same as the demon's. Right, who who also believe and shudder, he says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's it's not saving. Saving faith is is faith that is um, it is professed, meaning that you come to faith in Christ. It's practiced. It's per, and it's persevering. It goes to the end. See, I think the tension that um, uh, some listeners might have would be: okay, so here you have an individual who at one point um, was a professing Christian, involved in local church ministry, and so on. And at some point in their walk, in their walk with Christ, or some point in life, life crisis, whatever, they fell away. They stopped uh, attending church for whatever reason, and in that state of apostasy, 
they died, and so now you're in a. The Bible gives a, no guarantee, <clears throat> no, yes. no assurance for that. So, so the, the 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 point I'm trying to make here is, so now you're in a funeral of such an individual who yep. now you're trying to comfort each other because you do realize this is it. Right. The person was not walking with Christ. Uh, at the time of his death, but we remember he was very active in the local church. And so then the, the Long question ago, is, he was part of yeah, the... Yeah, he absolutely. was, but then he no longer is or in his recent uh, life prior to his death. So then the question becomes, okay, now where is he? And, and again, well, it's... Well, ultimately, that's, the God, that, that's, that's a God question. That's the Lord's work. All I'm saying <laughs> is that the scripture, his, the, the spirit-inspired word of God says that does get, it gives no no guarantee. assurance not only guarantee it just gives no assurance it only gives warning to that person that's it all that person has is warning right mm. oh you say to me lord yeah. lord do not do what i say that's right that's oh, what but didn't Jesus we said. but didn't we didn't cast out we? mighty demon many demons in your name didn't yeah. we prophesy many did we do many miracles in your name yeah depart from me i ne- i never knew you yeah the, so okay Here's a person who's been actively involved in lots of different ministry, some remarkable ministry. I mean, doing mighty miracles, that's a pretty big deal. Mighty works, yeah. So here's a person who's been involved in all of that ministry, and yet Jesus' verdict is, I never I never knew you. Mm-hmm. wasn't that I knew you for a little while, and then we stopped. I never knew you. Because, you're, because you're, your faith... Right, your profession of Lord, Lord didn't find, didn't find its outworking in doing what I say. Get it? Because He's the Lord; He has sovereign power and right over you. Then, but you don't do what He says. So the person who says, "No, no, I really believe," because I prayed that prayer or whatever, and then they're actively working against God in their life, meaning actively like rejecting Him. Yeah, I, this is why the writer of Hebrews comes out and says, "Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts," as they did in the day of rebellion, right? And they ended up getting judged for it. They all fell in the wilderness. That's right. So, if you want to go to the promised land, and in Hebrews, the language of promised land is being applied to the new heavens, new earth. There, if you want to go and be with God eternally, then don't harden your hearts like they did in the day of rebellion and were judged in the wilderness. Application question for you, Jeff, then, or even you, um, Paul. The question then would be, what then would you say to listeners who they have family members or friends whom they know they used to be in youth group together or small group together, and those people Mm -hmm. have now abandoned the faith for whatever reason? Mm -hmm. Obviously, as we've heard here, the scriptures are very clear that it's a warning, no guarantee here, no assurance. Right. So, what do you say to a Christian who has someone like this in his life? How do you now pastor this person, disciple them? What mm-hmm. do you do? Mm-hmm. Because it's a crisis situation here. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I, I actually had it recently uh, after one of the services, had a chat with a gentleman in our own congregation here who had this concern of, uh, of somebody that he knows, who he knows... Uh, you know, at one point was a faithful follower of Christ, but now is walking in a way that is un, uh, um, unrepentant, uh, a way that is uh, rejecting the gospel. And so his, his concern was exactly this, like, if, if this person dies right now, are they going to hell? And I just mm. said, I said, you know, personally, like, I can't be the judge of that. I don't know that for sure. But what I can say is that 
if you look in the scriptures, for, for somebody who has walked away from the faith, they don't have the assurance right now. They don't have the assurance of salvation. And so they can't say, they can't fool themselves into saying, yes, I'm assured of salvation because I prayed a prayer many years ago. The scriptures don't allow for that, as Jeff already said. So, but we don't know how that person's race is going to finish. They could still repent and come back and finish the race well. But if they died in that state, then all bets are off. All bets are off. All bets are off. But I, like, like, again, I would warn them and say, you know, from what I understand, I would believe that if the person was um, outright rebelling, you know... Um, Unrepentant you, living. Right. You look mm. at somebody like um, uh, what Christopher Hitchens, grew up in the Anglican Church, right? Became an atheist, hardcore atheist, rejecting Christ all the way to his death. Like, yeah, just because he grew up in the church and probably did the catechism, who knows what he did in the Anglican Church, right? Just because he did that as a kid doesn't mean that he's going to be saved. But he finished his life outright rejecting Christ. So I would I would guess that he is uh, mm. eternally uh, not damned, in a good place. But, mm. I jumped in there because I ahead, thought it yeah. was interesting what Paul said. It's gonna be <clears throat> saved. So because that's that's to me the big issue is that what okay salvation in the New Testament when it's talked about has both a past, present, and future. Yeah orientation. So, you, you say, well, we have been saved. You have language like that. You have, mm-hmm. we are being saved. But you, most of the time, you will be saved. And ultimately, what's saved from what? Well, saved from the wrath of God being expressed against human sin on the great day of judgment. And I think the way Paul even talks to the church at Corinth, right? The church at Corinth is going through every kind of sin you can imagine is involved in this place. And they're running in abject rebellion of, uh, towards God. And yet he still, uh, when he refers to them, he calls them brothers and sisters. He still calls them Christians. I think he doesn't he doesn't necessarily know that this is going to end uh, bad. Mm-hmm. But he's going. I know God is faithful to finish what He's begun, which he, he writes in Philippians. And so he's he's believing that God has started a work in them, mm-hmm. and that God will finish it. And yet, at one point, he tells them to make their calling and election sure. Yeah. yeah. Second yeah. Corinthians. So it, that's an interesting statement. Is that like, okay, uh, maybe you guys should examine yourselves a little bit to, yeah, right, totally. to think, think about whether or not your your again your calling mm. and your election is actually like is what's happening in your life exhibiting evidence that those things are true and sure. So when I talk about the future orientation of of salvation, what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, when people say, "Well, can you lose? Can you lose it?" I'm I'm actually saying, "Well, you don't have it. You have the promise in some ways of it. I mean, you, there are there is nobody who is justified who's not going to be sanctified, and nobody who's sanctified who's not going to be glorified. But apostasy is a real thing, and so unless you have salvation, unless you have glorification, mm-hmm. which is when salvation is finally consummated, you you don't have it." So my my point is you can't lose something you don't yet have. Mm-hmm. So when the Apostle Paul talks about um, in church discipline scenarios of casting out the immoral brother from among you and says to treat them like a non-believer, uh, how would that, how does that framework or does that framework apply to what we're talking about in of apostasy? Like, what does it mean then to treat your friend who says? 
that they were a Christian, but now they're living in rejection of Christ. What does it look like to treat that person as a non-believer? Well, that, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to be careful with that yeah. particular text because that text is about church discipline. So it's it's applying to to a person who is who is unrepentantly remaining in the church and, and the community. Like, they're unrepentant on their sin, and yet they're remaining in the church and the community. So Paul's words are like, cast the immoral brother from among you. He's trying to say, you need to exercise church discipline. What does that look like? Well, to, to don't even eat with such a one. That's probably language having to do with communion. Mm-hmm. Don't You don't want to give indication to that individual that they are okay with God. Right? right. There's got to be some way... And for Paul there, it's it's telling them, look, you shouldn't be taking communion because you got nothing to remember here, right? The only thing you have to remember is that you're rebelling actively against the living God, and mm. there's only warning mm. for you. So this is, but this is not the person. This isn't Christopher Hitchens that right. we're talking about because Chris Hitchens is like, no, I don't believe at all. Mm. Okay, so he's he's not a he's he's by his own admission not a Christian in any way. But there are lots of people who are like, no, no, I'm a Christian. I just don't I don't want to listen to what Jesus has to say at all. Right, so in the context of First Corinthians five, which is a text you're you're citing there, mm. that the the context there is well, there's actually a guy in the church who's decided he's going to take up you know sexual relationship with his stepmother or mother-in-law or whatever, like, <laughs> and the church is celebrating because you know he's free in Christ. What? And Paul's like, what are you guys? Are you crazy? Mm. That you shouldn't rejoice. You should be mourning. You should be kicking this guy out of the church because he is in grave danger. My thing is that the, the process of church discipline is, is a method by which we are warning the immoral brother that if you keep down this path of, which is, what, which is apostasy, right? Your unbelief is showing in the actions of rejecting Christ and his word. If you continue down this pathway of apostasy, there is a danger. Just read Hebrew, guys. Just he, read Hebrews, Hebrews chapter six. ten or Hebrews six. Or, I mean, like, like there, Hebrews ten is like if you go go on sinning deliberately, mm-hmm. there doesn't remain a sacrifice for sin, but only a fearful uh, uh, the the a fear, I can't remember the the exact language, but only the promise of of the of the wrath of God, right? Is is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There's a long way to answer the question the same way that I, I'm, I'm going to say I did earlier. Yeah. So then how, how would you encourage someone to respond to their friend or family member who has decided that they're rejecting Right, with a loving, with loving warning. And a lot of prayer. No, pray like crazy, but lo- I hope you understand what I mean, loving warning. Right, I'm not, I'm not talking play the prophet, stand up on the rooftops and decry them in the same way that that Elijah did Ahab, because we don't. Again, Second Timothy two, we are called actually to not be quarrelsome. Okay, in in our approaching of of those per- people who are apostate or whatever, don't be quarrelsome with them. You know, maybe the Lord grant them repentance is the way the language of that text is. So, but I'm, so I'm saying that we don't have a, we're not mean about it, but we are also diligent in our warning. Say, you know, I just want you to be clear that that's, like, you keep going down this path. This is what the scriptures say. Mm. And I I don't want you to walk down that path. Right? And so, for those who are members of members of the church, there is a process of church discipline that we that we work through in order mm. to make that happen. But the, you, please hear me, that the process of church discipline, 
yes, is for the benefit of the church in that Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? That if this kind of thing goes on, then the entire church will be misguided regarding whether they think you can follow Christ and still remain an unrepentant, you know, sinner. Mm. But it's also for the good of the unrepentant sinner, <laughs> because you're concerned for their eternal welfare. And yes, in the moment, they might not like the fact that you're pointing out this issue, and they you, they don't. Most of the time, they're like, oh, what are you saying? How judgmental and things mm. like that. And, you're, and the answer is, yeah, mm. totally. I'm totally being judgmental when it comes to this. We, mm. we as a church are being judgmental, but it's judgmental for your good, mm. right? Because when we bring judgment in the present moment, uh, it's... You know, it, it it's not followed immediately by 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 fire, right? You still have a chance to re, to respond. But when God brings that judgment mm-hmm. later, because we're speaking the words of God, He's going to speak them later if you don't mm-hmm. repent, and they're going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot worse for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm going to transition us to another topic. Okay. Um, no pithy segue for you. Here's the question. Does God expect all married Christian couples to have children if they are fertile? Anyone need me to rephrase <laughs> that? Uh, totally. Everyone's silent. Come on now. <laughs> Ezra, does God expect all fertile Christian couples to have children? Be fruitful and multiply, Ezra. <laughs> I think... I think uh, the, 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 the language of the question is very interesting when you say, does God expect? Because I think the scriptures are very clear when it comes to outlining God's expectations of his people or God's expectations of us. So then the question that has to be considered here would be, A, uh, does the be fruitful and multiply verse where God is speaking to Adam and Eve at creation, uh, pre-fall, does that apply to the Christian today in 21st century Canada? Is, is it an enduring command? That's the question. For the the believer? That's the question. How about when he gives it to Noah in chapter 9? There you go. Okay, so there. That one. Hmm. So I think when you look at the scriptures, I have four kids, okay? So I think kids are good. Yes. And I think kids are a blessing. And I think you guys, I mean, around mm-hmm. the table, uh, mm-hmm. love your, you have kids too, and you guys love it. You think having the ability to have kids is an absolute blessing. And this has mm-hmm. been the view of God's people forever. I mean, when you, when you look at the Psalms, when it talks about being blessed, mm-hmm. uh, that primarily is referring to like blessing in this life. And that means lots of kids, and that means uh, having people or having kids that are going to carry on after you, they're going to help you, and you're, uh, well, back then it would have been like a, a farm, like a yeah. Most a, of the reasons are society pra- like this. Most right? of them are pragmatic reasons, though. Right, right. So, but having kids is considered a blessing. Yes, it is and, a good. And so, and having kids is a good thing. So, if God mm-hmm. gives you the gift of fertility, mm-hmm. uh, why wouldn't you want to use it? Wouldn't we call this a disputable matter? Do you know what I mean by that? I know what you mean, but maybe the listeners don't <laughs> no, know what you dispute. mean. So okay, so this is a place where in the scriptures, uh, I it's going to be hard for you, because I struggle with using the text, be fruitful and multiply, which are being given in the context of uh, people who are actually at the beginning of the earth and its population. So here you have Adam and Eve, they are being given this command to be fruitful and, and multiply. 
and Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Both of them are in similar circumstances in that the earth is not full. So I have a difficult time saying that the author's intent there is to say that you're sinning if you're not actually multiplying or, or being fruitful. And that's the question because... In that regard. So yeah. hold on. Carry on, carry so, on. So that's, I'm just saying that, that uh-huh. hermeneutically I have a hard time with making that application. It seems to me that rather than saying that, we would say, well, there are going to be some people who choose to... Uh, who, th- there might be circumstances in which some people might not have children in order that they might serve God. I can think of several places in the world where one might move and not have children as a means to actually, even though they, they, they're fertile and they're married, I can, as a means to actually be able to serve God with a little bit more freedom. I can understand why that would be the case. In no way de- denigrating... I've got three kids of my own. Right. In no way denigrating that. What I'm saying is... So I, why would it be beneficial to not have kids in a certain mission context? Well, in the same reason that it's beneficial for uh, somebody to be single in a certain mis- mission context. That there might be some... You're not... You have more time to devote to the work of the Lord in that mission context than devoting time to your children and their sports. See, I can turn this question around and ask, okay, so is it a sin for families who chose not to have kids and yet they are totally okay to have kids is it a sin i i mean i would go down to the motivation of the heart yeah what's the motivation to not have kids is it so mm-hmm. that you can just continue to go Consume and enjoy? to sandals resorts uh, every summer and and uh, whatever just with your wife and you maybe can... maybe that's the answer yes right Right, but then the sin isn't not having the kids. The sin is is your greed, right? Right, the thing in your heart that's showing up, and you're not wanting kids and, because and being, I can't afford them, and I want to have more life for me. But that's the sin the op- is not the kids. The option of being married and not have being married, fertile, and not having kids is really quite a new novel. Uh, idea mm. is it not for the last uh, uh, sixty years? There's no question yeah. that it it, it, it may it be is, recent. It mm-hmm. is newer mm-hmm. and novel. My, my ultimately though, my question is and western. It, it seems to me that this is a disputable matter. Meaning that okay, sure. I, I don't have I don't have a, a a hard and fast. This is a sin. To answer is this right. question. No, it's it's not a sin, but it could be. Yeah. Depending on? Depending upon what I think, I agree with Paul. I think that depending upon the motivation of the heart, but then again, I'm not going to say that the sin is so much the kids not having kids. It's what's going on in the heart that's showing up in your desire to have or not have kids. I also think that there might be sinful reasons to have kids as well. Yes. But we don't need to get into... All of that. There's lots. There's lot. You can you can have extra. I know people. I've heard stories of people whose chief motivation for having children is to get more money from the government because they're going to get more for for that. Now, I think that's sinful. Mm, sure. Yeah. So I think there are circumstances in which you might not have kids, and it would be a, a freedom that you have. Ultimately, that's my point. Is this is part, an area of Christian freedom that I think that some people can decide not to have kids if they if they don't want to, and and others because because here's the thing we're gonna. We're, we, we're going to end up going down a track. If you end up saying, no, no, it's a sin, then I'm going to say, why, why then do you believe birth control is okay? Mm. Because ultimately, isn't that what you're closing the door off? You're, you're a fertile person. It's your responsibility to have children. You're saying, yeah, but two. Really? 
Only why, two? Why two? Right. Mm-hmm. Fulfill. Fill, fill the earth. And Two's not going to do it. Yeah. We need more. So, but some people stop at two. Why? You see, I think... I think Why? Why do they stop at two? Because they can only afford two. Right. Well, see, now you're getting into the same question I'm going to ask for you not having any. Is, okay, mm-hmm. there's certain motivations for you stopping at two that are really bad and certain that are good. Right. But mm-hmm. ultimately, that's between you and the Lord. And there should be no legalism around this, meaning that we're going to establish a law... <laughs> Where you know you're you're wrong if you if you ha- don't have this many, we're going to let you have your, that freedom. But we are, as good pastors, going to ask the motivational questions like, "What's going on in your heart to lead to that?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think a driving force here is idolatry. Yeah, where. There are those who get kids so that they can look good in the community and look like, like compete with the Joneses because, hey, you know, they have kids and I want my own and this and that and I'll be so joyful, whatever. There's one. There's another way where you'd say, hey, I don't want kids because it'll get in the way of my consumption and enjoyment. Right. So, again, both would be idolatrous. Right. So, but yeah. we're asking the question of the deeper issue. Yeah, idolatry. Right. But you're, something you're into you. Something like just just saying, "Oh, we can't afford it." I mean, I would I would challenge that because uh, we we whatever state you're in, you're going to think you can't afford the next child that comes along. So, you know, when we had two, I would have said, "No, you know." And then all of a sudden, "Well, we're pregnant. Here's number 3 coming." And guess what? We made it work. We made we made it work so that we could So you're against you're against uh you're against uh, birth, control. birth control. No, I'm not. Oh, so then, so how you do you reconcile? Well, I, I shouldn't give. I can't give a blanket <laughs> statement. There's, there's many forms of birth control that I am against. Okay. So now we're getting into you're if not, you're ending life, mm. or if you're just preventing, actually preventing but conception. If, but if you're preventing conception, aren't you doing essentially the same thing as the person, the person who's presenting it for the first time? So you have four kids. You're preventing a fifth. So what? You've cho- making, made the same choice for your fifth as they are for their first. I'm just trying to ask you, to me, that's right. philosophically the same thing. So, fine. You need to tell me your justification then. I was just talking in terms of affordability. Well, but, I was using that as the example. So, so, if you have six kids, you're saying that affordability is not a, is not a significant enough reason. I'm saying you should question if it actually is. Okay. So, when you have one or you have two mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like a lot of people stop some people will say oh you know it's just it's easier now when i stay in a hotel we only need one room and they'll use mm-hmm. that like oh yeah we can go on vacations this will be a lot easier it'll to be a lot two. easier yeah, yeah we have four. just have two Done. and that's what that's mm-hmm. what's stopping them and i would i would just ask them to but to you, really question and think about but that you reasoning could, you could say i'm stopping at four because i'm just so tired <laughs> right and my question then is, well, is that a legitimate reason? That just because you're tired, don't you trust that the Lord is going to be your strength? <laughs> Do you see, this is what happens with legalism, though. This is kind of my yes. big point here. This is what happens with legalism, right? You establish a law... Mm. And you say, well, those, those people who do that kind of thing are bad. But when I do it for similar reasons, it's different because, well, I'm different. And I'm no, just... I agree with you that it's between you and the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. It's between, and your wife or and your husband. Let's yeah. not leave the other person. <laughs> the party. Yes. The, Invol- yeah. They're usually part of the process. There's three personalities in this. Yes. Okay. So let's make sure that 
that you're on the same page. So if you're a husband who wants more kids and you're saying, you're saying, you know what, I've always wanted to have 10 kids in my family. And then your wife, though, she has four and she is just, she is spent. She just can't do it anymore in terms of like having more kids to raise and to change diapers and, and, and all this the kind rest of thing. Of it. And yeah. she's just like, no, like, like this factory's closed. Then, yeah. then you have to, as a husband, respect her and you have to love her. But she may be sinning. How is she singing? Because her justification for this factor being closed may not be be righteous and good. This is what's interesting about the Roman Catholic position on this, right? Mm. Is that it is very consistent, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yep. In the sense that they're saying, look, that the Good Samaritan is is open to being interrupted with those who of great need. Are there any more things in the world than great of great need than children? then if that's a Christian virtue for us to be open to being interrupted by uh, the, you know, the, the guy on the side of the road, surely we should be open to being interrupted by these others. There's no, in other words, there's no good reason you're going to give me that you shouldn't be open mm. to this. It's a Christian virtue, which is the language mm. that you started with. So they're the ones who are consistent by saying, no, no, you shouldn't use birth control for the first or the eighth or the twelfth. doesn't matter. You shouldn't use it at all. Yeah, the Catholic in the room would be saying, oh, you Protestants, look yeah. at the game you have to play. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you have to cre- create that. My, again, my, my view, though, is this is a Christian liberty, right? It's a Christian freedom that people have the opportunity to make choices for within their own families and, and these things is I don't, I don't have a law in scripture saying you have to have kids. You don't have to have kids, you, whatever, at least not one that I think is directly applicable to people in the new covenant age. So what do you think the, the greater, do you want to be done with this? Is that no, 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 or is is there one that's more applicable? One way that people tend to lean more than the other. Oh, we live in the Western world, and so the challenge is to to self actualization, being realized through my own free time, being willing, able to do all the fun stuff I want to do. Kids right. are a total nuisance when it comes to that kind of stuff. So yes, I'm saying that there is a, a there is a challenge. Like when when somebody says I don't want to have kids, mm-hmm. it, you're kind of like, mm, I wonder why, and it's hard for us to think to ourselves, well, there's that there's a really great reason that someone would have. What I'm saying is there may be, there may be good reasons, and it's not mine to judge in that area because I don't have a script, I don't have the scriptures telling mm-hmm. me that this is a right or wrong thing. It's a Christian freedom, so you're free to have kids or not have kids or have four or two or whatever. It's all good. In that regard, and I think that we need to be people of charity when it comes to it. Good. Good. I'm going to, I think we can press pause because Ezra, you have a meeting you want to get to, right? Yes. And we don't want, we don't have to play the game where you leave the room and we hear the door open and close and then we pretend you didn't actually leave and then I have to do my personality. You You got an important meeting today, do you, buddy? I have a meeting that is supposed to be. Is it with uh, Pastor Pillow, is it? Uh, No, not Pastor Pillow. No, Pastor Pilla and I, we had a good meeting yesterday, so we're good. All right. Good. Yes. Hey, if you have questions you want the extra podcast team to answer, send those to extra at northview.org. 
And if not, then that's okay. You can listen anyways. Okay. Play ball. Ball, ball, ball. Oh, no, 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 no. No, play ball. No. The, See the, what I did there with the... What's the... What do you say in cricket? You tag... Uh, no, 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 tag no, 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 no. Not even cricket. The NHL playoffs start tomorrow. Yeah, there's no Canadian team, so nobody's yeah, paying okay. attention. That's okay. Are you paying I, attention? I, I, I love the, the war. The, 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 the war that takes place on the ice. Ezra loves war. Oh, man. You heard it here first, folks. Mennonite Ezra. brethren, Pastor <laughs> Ezra Cote, whose war. wife works at the denominational headquarters. Likes loves the war. war. He likes the war. Oh, I like the hustle and the fight and the war that happens in playoff hockey. Right. Hey, He's great. Golden State Warriors, are they going to beat the record or not? 73? Don't they have to play... Uh, San Antonio to do it? No, Memphis. Memphis. 73 they or no? They beat San Antonio. Jeff, 73? Are they going to get it? I don't know. They're going to beat Memphis. Yeah, they'll win it. Did Memphis make the playoffs this year? 73. Yes, they did. But then they're going to lose to the Spurs. I in am the so shocked. Went they Conference might lose final. to the Spurs in the finals. You guys all talk about sports I don't really care about. All right. Basketball? Yeah, but you know lots uh, about cricket. I don't care. So. You do. I don't care All right. about basketball. Have a great week. Bye-bye. See you at your channel.